It's um, perhaps one of the more important times in the life of the church than a lot of days. What happened on this day is where we're celebrating the Holy Spirit being released upon the earth. Now we know that the Holy Spirit breathed life into a group of dysfunctional believers and how they ended up becoming a force that changed the course of history. This morning, that's the life that we are celebrating, that Holy Spirit coming to change the course of the history, causing life to spring forth in the church. So let's pray. So Father, I just want to thank you this morning for your, this opportunity to share your word, to share the concepts from your word, to explain what your Holy Spirit is doing or wanting to do in the church and in the world throughout this time. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just guide us and lead us, that you would give me the words to speak and that you would take from my remembrance anything I should not say. But above all else, Holy Spirit, we ask that Jesus would be lifted up and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've called my message this morning, Holy Spirit, come. We celebrate Pentecost, but I had prepared a message for this morning that I thought was going to go in another direction, and through reflection and through thinking about it, and as I'm preparing that message, I of course read through what was taught last week, and I just felt this morning, or last week, sorry, what was taught last year at this time, although last week was an excellent message too that Al brought, I really enjoyed that, it was a good word. But last year at this time at Pentecost, I taught a message, and as I went through it, just to go through my notes and see how that message had gone or what it was about, I thought, you know, that's actually something we need to hear again. So I decided to go through those notes and breathe, hopefully, fresh life into them and just teach once again about the importance of the church listening and being obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Even while Dave and I were talking this morning, he made the comment, but you know, really, we need to learn to preface our comments with, what is the Holy Spirit leading you? Holy Spirit indwells us. We live in a time of strife and division, and Holy Spirit indwells us, that he can give us the wisdom, and that may not be the same answer for everybody, but we're going to have to learn to hear what Holy Spirit is saying, and then follow that voice. <clears throat> so I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, and verses 1 to 4. And it says, when Pentecost, the 50th day after Passover came, all the believers were together in one place. Suddenly, a violently blowing wind came from the sky and filled the whole house where they were staying. Tongues that looked like fire appeared to them. The tongues arranged themselves so they came to rest on each believer. All the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. <clears throat> Pentecost is the day that we celebrate the arrival of the Holy Spirit working through the church in this earth. Holy Spirit was released to empower the believers, the church, to represent Jesus throughout the world. When we look at that scripture, we see that it says very clearly that it came to rest on all the believers. So they already accepted Christ, they already accepted, but now he came to rest upon them and to empower them so that they be able to change the world. Now we can gain some idea of the importance of this momentous occasion or the importance that Jesus placed on it by looking at what he had to say about it. When he was speaking to his disciples, he told them the Holy Spirit would be sent, and he says until they had received the Holy Spirit, they should wait in Jerusalem. He was willing to lay down his life, his own life, in one of the most horrible ways imaginable so that the Holy Spirit would be able to indwell humans. 
See, before Jesus' death, Holy Spirit was not allowed to indwell humans because there would have been death, a presence of a holy God living in an unholy people. But after the sacrifice was made and after people accepted the sacrifice of sin, man would move from the, spirit, or from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and Holy Spirit was now able to be released. We know, we've talked about this many times when we talk about the crucifixion and resurrection Sunday, how when the moment that the Holy Spirit was released was the moment where God decided to tear the veil of the temple from the top down. And that temple was opened up, the presence of the Holy of Holies was released, and Holy Spirit was able to dwell among God's people. God's will was able to be fulfilled. He has always desired to be a God that would dwell among his people, that would know his people, that they would know him. And he was able to, at that moment, be released. I love the way when the Bible says, you know, in the old King James, it says the rushing mighty wind. This version said like a violently blowing wind. How Holy Spirit was released. And to me, that just speaks of the desire that he had to be able to fulfill the Father's will. He came not sort of casually going, well, let's see what happens. Come see, come saw. He came like a violent, rushing, mighty wind. And he invaded the room where the disciples were meeting at that time. <clears throat> See, sin had to be removed, and the only way it could be removed was through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But the removal of sin allowed God to express his heart. And that's the thing that we need to see. This was God's plan. It was God's goal. This was not something that man came up with. It was not something that the church... It was the plan of God all along, to be able to live among his people. We, as Christians, as Christian believers, are the only religion that recognizes the presence of our God indwelling us. We have become the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and we get to allow the Holy Spirit to move in this world today as he did back then. In Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit was going to let us represent Jesus in such a way that the world was going to see a risen Christ. Not a Christ that was in the grave, not a Christ that died however many hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago, but a Christ that was alive and that was living in the church, that was living in his people today. Well, scripture, excuse me, scripture tells us that part of the empowerment that Jesus had for his disciples was to be able to lay hands on the sick and watch them get healed, even to raise the dead. It talks about we were allowed to speak with new tongues and to operate in all the other gifts of the Holy Spirit also. When we have accepted Christ, when we have released the power of his Holy Spirit in our lives, we are able to do the miracles. In fact, in Acts 1, we read that they shall have received power. Well, that word power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite from also. It is a powerful, explosive force that is supposed to be able to work through the church and cause this world to recognize a risen Savior. When the Holy Spirit came upon Peter at the day of Pentecost, which we read about in Acts chapter 1, it caused him to preach with such power and such authority that on the very first message that was preached after Christ had left, about 3,000 people came to, were added to the church in that day. That makes you wonder what would happen if that kind of power was received by believers today. 
So we don't have to be pastors. We don't have to be church leaders. This power was for everybody that would call upon the name of the Lord, for everyone that would receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and then be willing to take that power and meet the world. We have talked different times about the cutbacks and how the churches have been under restrictions and have been unable to meet. Now, I know it would be much more comfortable to be able to meet church, but I do not believe that the church has diminished one bit. If we continue to be the church with the people we are in contact with, I believe we're going to continue to see God moving in mighty ways. People's needs will be met. People will be getting healed. Provision will be provided. People will be coming to Christ because there is a church that is not bound by the building. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and we just happen to meet in this building normally. Now, another noteworthy occurrence was that the disciples changed after the Holy Spirit came upon them. The collection of people that had been vying for position caught a hold of a greater purpose. You know, they had spent time praying together after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. And now, with the advent of the Holy Spirit, their wanting to be great in the kingdom of God seemed to disappear. We had two brothers argue about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God, so they went and approached Jesus, and he said, you don't even know yet what you're talking about. They were doing different things, like wanting to bring the judgment of God down upon a town, and Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're from yet. That's the wrong spirit. But now we see the church come united under the power of the Holy Spirit, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, and the church was able to go out and do exploits for Jesus, things that had not been done by ordinary people before. They worked together to lift up the name of Jesus. Instead of ranting against the darkness, they lit a candle which is still burning. The world saw Jesus. I believe that's the most effective strategy we can have. Instead of trying to throw stones at every barking dog, move on, win the fight, and show Jesus in the situation. See, we're living today in a time where strife and discord are more rampant than at any other time in my memory. There has always been tension between different groups of people, but it has escalated to the point where everybody seems to be living in attack mode at this time. The news is dominated by clashes between people of different colors, the police and their demonstrators, compliance with the health of the safety measures and noncompliance. The stories spotlight the need for the church to share Christ's love. These stories show us what has been lacking in our world. In fact, Today we have some people saying, well, I'm getting vaccinated or I'm not, and that's enough to get a barrage of name-calling going. People that are deciding they want the vaccination, oh, well, you're nothing but sheeple and you're this and you're that, and I've heard as far as to say, well, it's a Luciferian doctrine and who knows what all else. And then, of course, the people that don't are called that they're uncaring and they don't love their neighbor and they don't. And the battle goes on back and forth. What do we need, church? We need Holy Spirit. We need a renewal of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. It has also become almost impossible to mention anything without someone being offended. Holy Spirit caused the divisions to end in the church. Now the mention of his name can start a whole new argument. <laughs> Have we missed him, church? Jesus came to the earth to reconcile man and God. He came to earth to reconcile brothers and sisters. He established his church as ambassadors to help fulfill that ministry. In Proverbs 15.1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up strife. 
And yet I see so many times where people are so willing to use those grievous words and to stir up that strife is that I put it to rest. Maybe we need to learn to operate with softer answers. Maybe we need to make sure that our opinion is actually based on God's word, not on tradition, not on history, not on rebellion, not on personal preference, but on God's word. See, Christians are called to operate in the spirit of meekness, which is Jesus exemplified. In 2 Timothy 2, 23-26, the Apostle Paul instructs the church with these words. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patience, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, I've often said you don't have to attend every fight that you're invited to. Pick the mountain that you are willing to die on. The end purpose of putting the nature of, on the nature of Christ is to help people repent and acknowledge the truth, to be able to recover themselves out of Satan's snares. In other words, our attitude will either bring people to the knowledge of Jesus or it will push them further away. Now, if you truly believe that your attitude makes no difference on your witness for Christ, then we need to continue to read in the Bible where Paul addresses the women and he says, your meek and quiet spirit can win your unbelieving husbands even without having to preach the word to them. See, your spirit, that attitude, is what's going to draw people, what's going to allow them to see Jesus alive. And that's probably one of the reasons why I see it so detrimental when we hear the different TV things, the different internet things floating around, where ministers of the gospel, the gospel of Christ, which we all are, are ranting and raving, defying the authorities instead of being humble and inviting them to sit down and have a discussion. It's unchristlike. Now, obviously, Paul wants us to operate in love when dealing with non-Christians. Jesus mentioned that the world would see we were following him by the love we had for each other. And that makes me wonder if the church has either been under a greater attack or if we have just become less filled with the Holy Spirit and have reverted going back to our petty and strifes and disagreements, trying to lift ourselves up, demanding my rights. Maybe the church of Jesus Christ needs to learn to operate in love towards each other and others who are part of the body. Paul did say that in meekness they might be convinced to receive Christ also. See, we all have differences of opinion and probably even some differences of doctrine. But the important thing is whether someone has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, whether they are trusting in the risen Son of God. It's never been about which church door someone enters on a Sunday morning, but about which kingdom they are living in. Now, it is detrimental to both the church and the world when the church is busy fighting things that they've never been told to fight. It takes our focus off of our common enemy. It takes our focus off of our God-given purposes. And it occupies our time dealing with inconsequential matters instead of destroying the works of the devil. The opportunity to show Jesus are everywhere, even now. As I said before, the church is not the building, the church are the people. 
I was in Superstore the other day picking up a few things, and I happened to run into a man that I knew and have known for years. And he started sharing some of the things that he was going through. And I wouldn't say we were close. We both know who the other one is. But he just started sharing some of the things. He needed somebody to talk to. Right there in the Superstore aisle, I was able to lay hands on him. We were able to pray. And he thanked me, saying, you know, that's really good. And I sensed in him a heart that was reaching out for Jesus, that wanted more of Jesus. And these are the people we can reach and we can touch. But it's not going to come by arguing and screaming and trying to tell them how wrong they are, how wrong this is, or how wrong that is. It is going to come when the church is able to exude the grace and the love that Jesus has placed within us. It's going to come when a church can walk in meekness. Like I said, the church isn't closed just because the buildings are. The church is still alive and well. The church has just gone to a place where we get to reach people out on the streets when I'm walking our dogs, out on the streets when we run into our neighbors, out on the stores when we run into people that we know. The church is still alive and the church is still a well. And we need to get involved in being the church to the people we come into contact with. I'll tell you, Jesus was there in that superstore aisle, probably every bit as strong or stronger than I have sensed him in church on many Sundays. He was there to heal. Now, I do believe the strife and the division in the world is an attack that has been released by the enemy. If he can sow fear, discord, anger, animosity, elitism, or anything else that causes people, including the members of the body of Christ, to turn on each other, then he has won. Our testimony is lost at that point. In Mark 3, 24 to 27, Jesus is addressing a group of religious leaders that are trying to cause divisions in the church. See, Jesus had just cast out a devil and he was being accused of casting it out by the power of the prince of devils. Oh, they're doing those miracles by the devil's power. That sounds familiar. Jesus lays down a truth explaining that if he was casting out devils by the prince of devils, then that kingdom was ruined. If a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan arise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but he has an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house." Now, Jesus applied this kingdom to Satan, or this principle to Satan's kingdom, but the same principle holds true when it comes to the kingdom of God. If we are divided amongst ourselves, we become prey, allowing the enemy to take over. The enemy is working to get the church into strife so that we can become bound and weakened. Jesus already defeated Satan on the cross. Now, if Satan can get us, the church, to focus on some useless squabble or other instead of destroying the gates of hell, he is better able to move in and fulfill his twisted will instead of the will of God. So what would happen if the modern church, full of the Holy Ghost, adopted more of the attitudes of the early church? They were unoffendable. Even though offenses must come, the Bible says we don't have to take them. Now, they were more concerned about promoting the kingdom of God than they were about promoting themselves. When they were being persecuted for sharing God's word, they didn't have a protest and a rally. They prayed for greater boldness. Every day was a trial for them. They lived under the most corrupt government that this world may well have ever known. 
They could be imprisoned, beaten, falsely accused. But they insisted on living for Jesus and lifting up his name. In fact, the Apostle Paul, before he became Paul, was Saul, and he went about seeking Christians so he could have them beaten, have them killed. When Stephen was stoned to death, Saul was overseeing it. He was in charge. But fear never entered the equation because they were walking in faith. They didn't spend their time arguing about believers who thought differently than they did. They didn't spend their time protesting unjust actions of governments. They didn't spend their time feeling sorry for themselves. In fact, when they were beaten, the apostles came out and they counted it all joy that they had been considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. I'm seeing a disconnect with so much of the church today. Philippians 1, 12 to 20 says, Now it is my purpose to make clear to you, brothers, that the cause of the good news has been helped by my experiences. So the Apostle Paul is sitting in prison or wherever he's been writing. He's saying, these things have caused the gospel of Jesus Christ to be helped so that it became clear through all the praetorium and to all the rest that I was a prisoner on account of Christ and most of the brothers in the Lord, taking heart because of my chains, are all the stronger to give the word of God without fear. Now, though some are preaching Christ out of envy and competition, others do it of a good heart. These do it from love, conscious that, conscious that I am responsible for this cause of the good news. But they are preaching Christ in a spirit of competition, not from their hearts, but with the purpose of giving me pain in my prison." What then? Only that in every way, falsely or truly, the preaching of Christ goes on, and in this I am glad and will be glad. For I am conscious that this will be for my salvation through your prayer and the giving out of the stored wealth of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In the measure of my strong hope and belief that in nothing will I be put to shame, but that without fear, as at all times, so now will Christ have glory in my body, my life, or by life or by death. So even as a prisoner of the Roman Empire, Paul reveals the wisdom and the goodness of God in his sufferings. Rather than complain about unjust treatment, he realized that the unjust procedures allowed him to address people he would not have been able to address otherwise. Some of them wanted to know more of the gospel. His suffering was increased by false friends. People that turned on him, people that pretended they were his friends, people that and stabbed him in the back. His sufferings were increased by those that were directly opposed. But he didn't let any of those things slow him down or stop them. He goes so far as to say that some were preaching Christ out of competition or contention and envy, trying to make his life worse. And yet Paul was at rest. He recognized that his troubles were actually stepping stones, helping him to minister to a greater group of people. See, his life had been bought by Christ, and he was ready now to live his life serving Christ. Holy Spirit imparted new strength to him and gave him joy even during those times. So what would it look like if the church today would rejoice when things are unfair, when things are hard? If the church refused to be offended and looked for opportunities to continue to minister? What would happen if instead of trying to avoid every unpleasant situation, if instead of looking to be honored and 
trying to avoid the cross, we would rejoice. If we were seeking to experience God's glorious presence and to be upheld through temptation, contempt, and affliction, what if we would say, my life is yours, Lord, to do with as you please? See, when we are yielded to Holy Spirit, He has the right to reveal His glory through us, whether it's through works, through sufferings, <coughs> by diligence, by patience. He has the right to expect that we are willing to give up our lives to bring honor to Him when we call Him Lord, regardless of what He asks. Now, He will use God's Word as our standard. Now, I know many are living in fear now, worried about what's going to happen, worried about what could happen. And it's causing many to turn to those whom God has placed there for our help and our strength. It's when the body of Christ comes together and dwells in unity that the Lord commands his blessing. Instead of getting involved with the petty disagreements with those who see things differently, let's fight for the unity of the faith and continue to pray for our nation. Instead of arguing if they choose to be wrong, let's leave them wrong. We cannot force them to change their mind. I have not yet ever heard of one person on Facebook turning around and saying, oh, you're right, that argument really made sense to me now. I've just changed my mind. <clears throat> Our leaders also live in unprecedented times. We need to be praying for them for wisdom. Pray for God's will in this nation. Pray that any leaders that refuse to follow God's plan be removed and be replaced by some who will. Church, we need to humble ourselves. We need to repent. We need to watch God heal our land. What would happen if the believers received a fresh experience, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit? What would happen if the church was brought back to its knees and said, Father, we need you. We need your strength. What would happen if Holy Spirit was allowed to rule, to run, to direct people's lives like he did in the book of Acts? I honestly believe we would see many of those very same things happening. And I believe we would, as like they did, come back to a time where the governments would be Christian and decide to follow God's plans, God's orals. The church, I believe it's the church that is going to have to start by getting on its knees and seeking God, giving Holy Spirit free recourse. So Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we just want to thank you this morning that you have empowered us. You have given us your Holy Spirit to be our guide, our comforter, to lead us, to strengthen us, to teach us. You have given us Holy Spirit to always point us back to Jesus. So, Father, I would pray that your Holy Spirit would be allowed to move throughout the church of Jesus Christ in this day in a whole fresh way. That they would not be stopped by this or that or the next, but that your Holy Spirit would be invited in and given free recourse even if it's unfamiliar territory. I ask, Father, even right now, that you would bring a fresh revelation of the power of your Holy Spirit to the church during this time. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.